Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald and Company. So this evening, I'm sat with Rob Deck, Head of Development for Google Development Ventures in San Jose, California. Now, Rob is no stranger to major projects, having led teams on multi-billion dollar projects in London, Australia, and now the States. And I am very, very much looking forward to hearing how he's getting on and not only share that insight of what he's learned in order to make these projects a success. So Rob, thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's get us started. Tell us how chapter one begins. Well, I guess... um... You know, finishing school, I was, like many people, trying to work out what I'd do next, and I really didn't have too many good ideas, frankly. I mean, at the time, I was uh, quite interested in being a psychologist, funnily enough, and so I'd, I'd read a few books about psychology and, you know, thought that would be an interesting place to go, but uh, uh, fortunately, that didn't happen, and my wife, you know, thinks that was providence, probably, because uh, she doesn't think I'm a fabulous listener or would have had the patience for that and I doubt that uh, I would have either so um, that was probably not the good start that I needed I I probably fell into civil engineering more so by following my friends into it if I'm honest um, it wasn't like I you know had a passion or desire necessarily for it but um, you know I was pretty good at uh, maths and the like and, uh, and and it was an interesting place to go so um, I completed my degree in civil engineering at Sydney University. It was a pretty classically theoretical course, I suppose, and you know, in the fundamentals of engineering. And so I had a choice to make as to whether I wanted to be in design or or go into a more of a construction-related uh, direction, I suppose. And um, so I I had a choice to make there. I had interviews with two different firms, um, one in design and one in engineering, and you know, they're probably one of the only few interviews I've ever had. I got offers on both and I had a choice to make immediately, which was, you know, not what I was expecting. The guy who interviewed me from the construction firm, a big Australian contractor, Leighton, um, was fairly arrogant about, you know, why would I ever want to do anything else but go and work for them. Um, And, you know, to be honest, I'd had some feedback about them that they were pretty... You know, um, I guess they were fairly, what should I say, doggy dog in some respects in terms of, you know, driving people pretty hard and, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't necessarily the environment I wanted to go into first up. And and I knew that if I took that direction, I'd never go back to be in consulting or design. So I decided I wanted to give that a go. Took the other job. Um, It was was fabulous. It was, uh, you know, very quick entree into the challenges of structural engineering. I, I knew what I knew from from my time at, at engineering, but um, to be honest, uh, you know, I didn't know much at all, as it turned out, And uh, but I learned really fast and, you know, had some fabulous people giving me a lot of mentoring in that space, and, and one in particular, a brilliant guy who really taught me the value of sharp design. And uh, so fairly quickly I was, you know, into designing large multi-storey buildings and um, in Sydney and in fact across you know some of the major capital cities in in Australia and came across Lendlease after a few years and uh, on a big project that uh, we we're doing in Sydney which was particularly complicated and so I 
I got involved with them, um, helping them work out how to actually build this building. And that for me was fascinating. And uh, I guess at the time I was really wondering, well, how should I, you know, move forward here? I'm, I'm, you know, sitting behind a desk for quite a long time, crunching numbers, not getting enough time actually working with people. And in many respects, finding it a little bit, you know, dry, if I'm honest, and not quite where I wanted to take my career for the long term. Also, I don't know that I was actually that good at it. I used to always be a little concerned that I was leaving a factor of safety out and, you know, could have made a mistake and something might collapse and I'd lie awake in bed at night and be worried about that. And, you know, ultimately I wasn't sure that that was for me. So I I really decided, you know, fairly early on that, you know, I needed to do something different. And of course, Lindley's was an organisation I'd known through my time, you know, in the industry there in Sydney. It was well known in Australia as being a place that was very people focused. It had a real, you know, strong culture of um, being a great organisation to work for. In fact, it was well known even then for being, you know, the training ground of the industry in Australia. So um, I, I knew I could carve out a career with them if I could get a Guernsey with them um, that would be, you know, quite quite interesting and, and varied. So, uh, and, you know, potential to do different things in different places. So um, in talking with these guys, they, they said, look, you know, you should come and join us, um, which is ultimately what happened. And so I guess, you know, all of that constitutes what I would call chapter one, Nick, I guess. All right, really good. You described a little bit in terms of what, you, what you're getting involved in, but I am curious about sort of what you most maybe gleaned from that experience in terms of, you know, is that being then the chapter one, that being the starter blocks to what we know becomes a hugely successful career. What do you think you learned the most from those earliest chapters? I would say that what I learned most from that time was the importance of, you know, extracting value from whatever it is we're doing. So, you know, particularly in respect of, you know, design, you know, what we sometimes saw was pretty sloppy design by other competing firms. Um, and we would sometimes take on projects working for, you know, for instance, steel fabricators who were looking for more value in the design than, you know, had been done by another firm. And we would redesign it for them such that they could tender the work based on an alternative design done by us that was sharper, we'd pull out quite a lot of tonnage from the project um, and actually make it a, you know, more lean design that created, you know, value for the client because it was a cheaper outcome. Um, Equally, the contractor was making a better margin and we were still getting paid our fees. So, you know, for me, it was a real exercise in, you know, ensuring that we weren't necessarily making it so lean that it was you know, unsafe or it wasn't going to perform well, but it was extracting the, the true value out of out of the out of the design in particular. So that was that was great from my perspective in terms of teaching me, you know, the importance of having an eye for value um, in in you know whatever it was I was doing going forwards. Okay. Well then let's hear about it. How does the how do those first few days in the uh, Lendlease or first few years at Lendlease develop? Yeah, I, I guess where I really got going at Lindley's was uh, as a site engineer. So the offer was to go and be a site engineer. Now, you know, making that choice to jump from, 
being as being in a consulting firm, you know, well known, respected firm, to being a site engineer at Lendlease didn't make sense to a lot of people. In fact, my the boss at my at the firm I had been working for, who I you know had a lot of regard for and who we got on very well, he was you know quite quite disappointed. Did quite a bit to try and encourage me to stay. In fact, you know, was offering me a promotion and various other things, but. Ultimately, for me, you know, it was an important choice around, you know, knowing that if I stayed in that role for too much longer, I'd get too far into that to be able to make the jump across to something that was, you know, more interesting to me in the long term. So in many respects, I was probably going slightly backwards or sideways, at least, you know, in moving across into a role like this. Uh, And it was a big challenge, I suppose, from the point of view of the personal circumstance, it was pretty brutal, to be honest, you know, 7am start, six days a week, it wasn't what I'd been doing in consulting world. But, you know, I really wanted to throw myself into it and, you know, learn fast and um, experience, you know, what it was like. It was a project in Sydney, in the city that I was involved in, multi-storey commercial office building. And so, you know, it was uh, quite a different environment. But I think what really helped me was the fact that, you know, I really understood how a building like that went together. I was, you know, able to make a real contribution in, you know, quite quickly, you know, to the way in which we were going about building it and finding smarter, better ways to do it. Um, and that really, I think, helped me cement my position as, you know, someone that, uh, you know, was given an, an early opportunity in some respects before I felt like I was ready for it to move on to another project in a more senior capacity and then quite quickly into, you know, project management roles and the like. So, um very interesting time early on at Lendlease, very much on the delivery side of the organisation. I mean, Lendlease has got, you know, it's it, it does end-to-end property, really. Even in those days, it had, you know, an investment arm and a development arm and a, and a delivery arm, and, and I was very much in the delivery space, you know, project managing and uh, and the like. So, you know, it was a, it was a fast learning curve, lots of, you know, experiences, you um, working in teams, you know, with lots of people. And I suppose moving somewhat from being, you know, what we'd call an individual contributor into, you know, people management roles. And and that was, um, you know, that was challenging because it was quite different having to uh, rely on others to get things done, you know, rather than relying on myself and my own, you know, capability. And, you know, that was a challenge, in fact. I It didn't work very well for me initially. You know, I was trying to be too much of a micromanager and too much of a uh, trying to cover too much ground, and really, in many cases, you know, struggling to stay on top of it all and um, finding it pretty stressful because there's a lot going on in a big project like that. So um, it was uh, it was a great learning experience, though, and and useful for me, I suppose, in helping me to appreciate, you know, that there were there were real there's real value in um, you know the diversity of a team the, the the contribution of multiple people and and finding how to really get the value out of out of the team I was working with understanding you know where we could complement each other and how how we could be you know truly um, working as a team so so lots of good learnings in those early early years with Lendlease in in that role now, just listening to that, Rob, you, you're talking about sort of these um, these formative years as you as, a, as the project manager, and and also the the, the challenge of of managing your own team as well. I'm curious, 
Does the role of project manager, does that prepare you for managing a team internally? Or is it is it a different mentality when you're managing stakeholders or consultants versus people who are who are your subordinates within within a lend lease or whoever your employee might be? Uh, look, I think I think the, the, there are differences clearly, right, between uh, you know managing internally and 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 leading and managing with with stakeholders and consultants. You know, and equally, it's a little different managing contractors too. So, um, you know, we uh, I, I, I had colleagues who would try and you know manage consultants in the same way as they managed con- contractors, and it often didn't go well because, you know, um, consultants like to be treated a little differently, and they are more, you know, uh, they they've got they're not quite as hard nosed as some of the contractors were that we were working with. Um, some they were sometimes disparaging, referred to by my some of my colleagues as subbies in suits. Um, I never treated them that way. Um, it never went well when you did. And the team, I think my own team, you know, um, what they really valued was, you know, being given time and space to get stuff done on their own rather than being micromanaged. And I learned that quite quickly in the, you know, on the, on a couple of projects I was involved in where, you know, for me, I, I'd get a little frustrated because I'd see, see things not being done as quickly or as efficiently as I'd like to see them done and, uh, you know, be keen to try and, you know, jump in and make it happen. But in so doing, took, you know, depowered the team, depowered, um, you know, and uh, my, my team, and they, they, they'd step back and let me do it. But ultimately, you know, I wasn't getting the value of having their contribution. And, and I was ultimately not doing the things I also needed to do. So you know, I did, you know, get uh, some, some mentoring around that from uh, a couple of people that I respected who could see this happening and were giving me some pointers on how to how to be more effective, you know, in the role. So that was really helpful, I have to say. So I think we're now established then, Robin, in terms of the, the foundations from where you first sort of set up these early days of, of, of Lendlease. But what comes next? So um, I was doing quite well. I was, you know, enjoying time in Lendlease, but um, I wasn't quite sure where that was going to go next. And uh, and ultimately, you know, a, a a former boss of mine who I had a lot of regard for, very charismatic guy, had left Lendlease and joined a competing construction company called Walter Construction Group at the time. Um, and he he was very keen for me to come and join him. He was I was actually working in Sydney. He moved from Sydney to Brisbane, in Queensland, and he was keen for me to go and join him and with a couple of other guys, try to transform that organisation to be more of a, you know, an, an organisation a little more like Lendlease. And so for me, it was an opportunity to take on a new challenge uh, in a new geography, you know, different state, different city. And so, you know, it was quite a big move for me at the time. I'd always been to the Sydney based and grew up in Sydney. And so to move to a new city was, you know, quite a big move. But um, we did it, um, and uh, it was it was an interesting experience. I certainly have to say that uh, you know leaving the, the Lendlease culture and seeing another organisation, quite uh, quite a different one, who were trying to be transformative but really struggling because of the ingrained way in which things were done. You know that challenge was much more difficult than I was expecting, and uh, you know it did some. We did some great things. I. 
got involved in leading a whole range of different projects uh, in that business, you know, from prison projects to hospitals and courthouses and some residential towers and the like, uh, and got a bit of a exposure to some general management roles um, in that business too, got promoted into construction management and, uh, you know, supervisory roles, uh, but also into the, you know, the, the leadership of one of their their branches late in the piece. They were having some particular problems in the Victorian business and so I was asked to go down there and in fact, you know, unbeknownst to the people there, you know, my, my role in going there was in fact to close that business because it wasn't actually, you know, performing at all well. There were loss-making projects there, very difficult circumstances. The union environment in, in, excuse me, in, in Melbourne was really quite challenging and it was very difficult to for anyone really to be doing well making money as a contractor in Melbourne at the time so so um, I needed to keep the projects going of course to get them complete but ensure that I didn't win any more work which was a little challenging to you know to be having to go and do that and it wasn't something I particularly enjoyed I felt like I was too far removed from being you know where I really knew I enjoyed being which was you know, on projects and leading projects. Um, I think at that stage I started to really appreciate, you know, what what made me tick in terms of getting me out of bed each day. And that was, you know, finding finding value in, in the projects and, and, you know, doing something that made a difference in terms of, you know, the uh, the projects we were, were involved in. And in many ways that that was equally, you know, frustrating me somewhat I'd have to say because I still felt like I wasn't close enough to where decisions were being made you know and uh, you know you're at the receiving end of many of the decisions done you know made by others by consultants and by by clients ultimately and so you know in many respects I felt like I wanted to get out of that world of you know being in delivery and more into the world of development where I saw you know those decisions being made and that helped me, you know, really appreciate the opportunity that would exist if I could make that jump. But I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that. I'd left Len Lease, and I wasn't sure that uh, necessarily there was an opening to go back. But then again, you know, uh, if I go back to when I left Len Lease, interestingly, I, the my one of the people who I had been reporting to was very, very um, dismissive of me for making the decision to leave, you know, thought, took it as a personal affront, was quite abusive in terms of the way he he treated me. And um, and I didn't think I'd ever have an opportunity to go back to and lease as an organisation. But uh, the day I was leaving, I went and had coffee with another guy I had a lot of regard for. And uh, as we were sitting in the cafe um, at Australia Square in the centre of Sydney, a building that Lendlease had built, um, the chairman of the company, Stuart Hornery, walks past. And uh, this guy, Rob Johnson, he calls Stuart over and he goes, oh, Stuart, I thought you'd like to know Rob's leaving then lease. And I was expecting Stuart to be like, what on earth? Why would you do that? You know, but he wasn't at all. He was incredibly, I, I suppose, open to the idea that someone would leave the organisation, go and experience what it's like elsewhere, perhaps see that the world isn't necessarily any better elsewhere and maybe one day comes back and for me that changed everything that that changed you know my view of um of lend lease as a place that perhaps the doors still was open wasn't closed 
and uh, and I could come back one day. And in fact, ultimately, that's what happened. So uh, after a few years at uh, at Walters, I could see it wasn't going anywhere as an organisation. It was struggling. In fact, a couple of years after I left uh, the parent company in Germany, it was bought by a German company. It uh, ultimately went into receivership, and so that that business no longer existed. But fortunately, I'd made the jump before then. I'd stayed in touch with a few people in the Lend-Lease development world, and one of my colleagues there created an opening to have me, you know, apply for a role that was coming up. And so that was probably my only, probably only my third interview, really, uh, in my career. And um, went and had an interview with the the MD of development at Lend-Lease, and uh, before I knew it, I was back working on a um, one of the their head office in fact they were building the bond in um, in Hickson Hickson Road in Sydney fabulous project very innovative you know the first six star green star project done in in sustainability terms in in Australia and uh, you know really did uh, help me get on the ground in terms of you know understanding what development was all about so yeah that was uh, that was a pretty pretty insightful time for me and you tell a really good sort of, uh, story then, a really good lesson, haven't you, ab- about being able to manage what happens when someone does leave and how important that lasting impression is mm. for, for both parties. Um, well, listen, Rob, there is so much within your career um, that we want to talk about. Uh, I want to make a, a bit of a leap now because you have been, you have sort of built up a reputation of being a bit of a globetrotter for being someone then who who obviously is very capable in delivering some of these major projects. So I want to introduce now the first role that you took when you moved to London. Do you mind just telling me a little bit in terms about how that opportunity came about and, and what exactly you had in, uh, in store for you when you arrived? So when I was uh, in Sydney, I was working on a project um, straight after the bond called Jackson's Landing. I was, um, I was, thrown into that project really it was uh pretty much all of my career to that date had been you know involved in commercial office buildings for the most part when i was at walter i did a bit of did a bit of uh work on some residential buildings very much in the construction maybe design and construction world but not in development and uh so i was asked to go and lead this project jackson's landing on the foreshore of sydney it was 1500 apartments it was a significant project and it was already underway, so I didn't start it, but I certainly continued it. And I was going in to be leading that project with very little experience of residential. <clears throat> so so for me, you know, this was, you know, could I even do this? Could I possibly go and lead a team who have experience of residential and, and make a difference? So uh, it was a bit of a crisis of confidence for me. I had to be convinced by a few people that it was something I should try and do and take on. And so I did that in, you know, that was in about oh, two or three years after I joined Len Lease. And uh, again, this is back in about 2004, I suppose it was. I was there for a couple of years and uh, and I really got a great training in residential and what it entails, residential development. This is a project where you had a whole lot of consultant, uh, sorry, a whole lot of uh, residents um, who were already living in the development. So I had to deal with all of their you know, complaints and concerns about things that weren't quite as they'd expected them to be, either in their apartments or or in their buildings, as well as be responsible for projects in construction and then projects that we were, you know, getting into into development. And so it was a fabulous training ground and and, you know, I was quite enjoying that role. 
in early 2007, a couple of years after being there, uh, the CEO of Lendlease at the time, Ross Taylor, called me up and said, Rob, how would you like to go to London? Now, at the time, you know, I was, um, I was busy renovating my house. I still had things I thought I needed to do at Jackson's Landing. Uh, my wife was seven months expecting with our second child. And, well, not quite actually, a little before, but by the time we left to go to London, she was. It was, uh, you know, only a few months of just deliberations to, to get to the point where we could actually move move to London. And so, you know, it was make or break. We either went then or we had to wait for, for, for three or four months until she'd had the baby and then we'd go then. And it was, of course, critical that we got there quickly because this was to go and be involved as the development director for the the athlete village for the London 2012 Games. So 2007... You know, it was, you know, only five years really before the games were going to happen. And with what needed to be done, the timeline was incredibly tight. And so, you know, we really needed to be there as soon as possible. So we got ourselves organised. The house wasn't even finished. My brother finished that off for me. <clears throat> and um, and we jumped on the plane and we landed in London, you know, not really knowing too many people, not really knowing the industry and the market. And you know, needing to make immediate impacts to get uh, things underway to ensure that this project was delivered on time. Pretty stressful time, pretty um, challenging. Um, I'm not even sure, you know, if I look back on it, that it was necessarily a smart decision by the organisation to ask me to do that. There must have been others who I think might have been more um, qualified and, you know, uh, experienced, but it all went pretty well, I have to say. I'm I, I was uh, surprised, really. It was more of an undertaking than I even understood at the time because I'd understood that, you know, our, our organisation in Lend Lease in those days was more akin to what we have in Australia than it, than it necessarily was. And by that I mean that, you know, in Australia we've got quite a mature design-build capability and, and, and at, in London at the time, you know, that was really non-existent. It was more of a construction management business and so you know I was expecting that our, our building team would have the ability to take on and do a lot of the project management functions but uh, it really wasn't necessarily the case so not only were we trying to you know deal with all the development aspects but also needing to um, ensure that that project management function was being properly resourced and so you know I took on all of that as well it was uh, it was an intense time you know new bub new geography, new city, new bunch of consultants. So I knew I needed a lot of help. So I put my hand up many times to call for more resources and more capable people. And fortunately, the organisation was very supportive and, and uh, you know, jumped to give us whatever we needed, which also helped to, of course, make it, make it successful. If I can just interject then, you listed all the reasons why someone wouldn't consider that job. Right. Safe and secure role, you know, young family, budding career in Australia. Why do you think you took it? I don't know. Um, perhaps it was the fact that I'd have been asked by the CEO and I wasn't sure I could say no. Perhaps it was just this uh, desire to do something different. My wife was very enthusiastic about it. I'll give her credit for being a big part of why we went. Um, she was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, this could be great. It's a fabulous opportunity to do something 
completely different. I think she was a little bored of being in Sydney and, you know, didn't see that as necessarily, you know, um, what our future would be. And in fact, she's always been an encourager of uh, of me when we've talked about doing something different and going somewhere new. So um, even though, you know, for her, it was a massive, a massive, um, you know, upheaval, you know, she, she was up for it. So uh, that was amazing. And you know, we had to obviously find ourselves an obstetrician. So she uh, she got on Google and uh, and Googled, you know, where did Posh Spice have her baby? And yeah. <laughs> Portland Hotel, Portland Hospital. So of course that's where we went to find an obstetrician. And you know, before we knew it, we had a second bub. And in fact, we had two more there. So our three boys were all born in London. And because she had British citizenship through her dad, um, we all they all had British citizenship immediately. And then my daughter, who was born in Australia before we left, and myself got our citizenship while we were there. So we're all dual citizens now, British and Australian. Um, and uh, that was that was fabulous. It means the kids had options. We thought at the time to be, you know, working anywhere in Europe. Of course, that's not quite the case anymore, but uh, still, still fabulous. So people familiar with listening to to the pod know we like to do our research now rob so i did get to talk to then someone who's who's known you for a little while uh, and one of the questions I, I asked them is what what they consider to be one of your most prominent traits and this is what they said rob uses his toolkit from previous experiences to incredible effect adapting them to suit the world that's evolving around him now aside from that being you know i love a lovely sort of quote this is, this is, I think, is particularly pertinent for you, isn't it? Because you're managing projects and teams that you haven't spent decades working with. Each new location you move to, each new project you uh, you pick up, it's, it's pr- presumably people who are unfamiliar with you and you're unfamiliar with them. And so I wanted to, to check with you as to how that affected how you managed them and how you managed to be able to, to get the best out of this, this team. Yeah, it's a good question, Nick. I must say, I, I I do feel like every time I've changed roles, even within the same geography, you know, you're working with a whole new bunch of people. Um, some of them you've had some time with, but you know, in many cases not. And so what I think, you know, I've needed to do and to get comfortable in that sort of space is, you know, not I've never been one to to lead or manage from from the position of title. You know, I've never had much regard for title. I've never been concerned about, you know, having the having the right title and chasing that per se. For me, it's always been about getting getting great experience that creates credibility. And so, you know, if you can demonstrate to people that you are able to bring, you know, knowledge and experience from what you've done so far and from other projects. And that, you know, you've got something of value to add to the conversation. You don't need to, you know, be necessarily the last and loudest, you know, voice in the room. It's more just speaking, you know, in a way that just is logical, frankly, um, and makes people appreciate that, you know, what what I'm talking about does make sense. Equally, it's, you know, recognising that I don't know it all and that there are a lot of people in the team with local experience, with good experience, good other experience, diverse experience that adds to, you know, what I might know. And so building that consensus in a team 
and building trust and, you know, really taking a, a collaborative approach for me has been, you know, incredibly important. So people need to, to know that they can trust you, that they, you know, that you, you have, you've got their backs, that you, you're not trying to undermine them in some way or, you know, steal their work and make it your own or any of those types of things, you know. I think people are pretty perceptive and recognise quite quickly if someone's trying to do that type of thing. So for me, it's always been about trying to be as authentic as possible and, you know, really, I suppose, building that 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 collaboration and consensus in the team as quickly as possible. And, you know, that's something I suppose I picked up and learnt out of a couple of projects where, you know, we, this is back in the contracting world perhaps, where sometimes, um, you know, projects go off the rails because there's quite an adversarial environment. And so, you know, this concept of, of almost a partnering approach was one that was introduced that had, you know, significant value to, uh, to getting to better results, you know, establishing common goals and, and establishing, you know, an understanding of what success looks like and uh, building that in the team very early, making sure that everyone was aligned around the vision and the opportunity and, uh, and we're, we're all pulling in the same direction. And for me, that's been, I suppose, you know, something that has helped me very quickly establish, you know, teams that were effective and working together as opposed to ones that were, I suppose, you know, um, divisive and, and unclear about what was important. Well, that sounds a, a fantastic sort of segue um, once more because... We've got, to rush, we've got to sort of jump through another sort of six years of the time you spent in, in London now because once more, the uh, the decks are, are packing up uh, and moving to a new location, but returning back to Australia. Tell us a bit more about how that how that came about, Robin, and tell us a bit more about what, you know, sort of what was waiting for, for you when you landed. Sure. So I suppose, um, you know, in that time I was in London, I, I spent uh, – probably the first half of it, three years and a bit, um, on the Olympic Village, but clearly it wasn't finished at the time I I moved from there. But, uh, you know, my work in, the, in sort of setting up and leading the development aspects of it was largely done. Um, it was a tumultuous couple of years, I have to say. I mean, in the middle of it all, um, 2008, you know, June or thereabouts, you know, we were, we were going to be the developer of the village. We were going to put up all the capital. We were going to be the... Um, you know, the developer using bank debt, we had 12 banks lined up to do the village and or to be investing in the village with their capital um, behind us. And of course, you know, in the middle of all of that, the global financial crisis hit and suddenly, uh, you know, the banks didn't want to proceed anymore. And so we were in a pretty tough place. We had a big team working out of an office in Argyle Street there, right on Oxford Circus, one of the best offices I've ever worked in in my life. Actually, I had a fabulous view looking straight out into Regent Street, such an amazing part of the world there in central London. And, uh, you know, big team, everyone was focused on, you know, what we needed to get done, and suddenly this project looked like it may not happen because the banks were, weren't prepared to proceed. And, of course, uh, for me, that was a moment of crisis because suddenly... You know, we were going to need to use the, the the government's money and effectively become a development consultant to the government as opposed to the developer. That wasn't what I signed up for. That wasn't what I intended. So, for, you know, that was a that was a big challenge for me. I but equally, I needed to you know be strong and positive in front of the team. And a colleague of mine, in fact, did a better job of that than me. In you know, he was 
he was the project director, I was the development director. So uh, yeah, we did get through all of that. And, you know, after finishing that piece of work that uh, I was doing on the on the, the village, I was asked to go and set up and lead Elephant Park in London, which was um, another huge project we had on, you know, in, in Elephant and Castle, which is obviously on the south side of the river. For those people in London, they'll know it. Um, it's a place I described as a place you hurry through to be somewhere else. It's got that big roundabout, five roads coming into it, a bit of a traffic jam and not a particularly, you know, um, pleasant place to be really, not a particularly safe place to be, particularly in those days. And the old Haygate Estate, estate was a, a failed social housing development that Southwark Council wanted to revamp. So I'd been asked to go and lead that. And uh, look, there's a lot I could talk about there too in terms of things we learned. It was probably the real experience I had of proper community engagement. You know, we really spent a lot of time engaging with the local community to get that project right and, you know, changed it massively as a result of that community engagement to turn it into what it is today, which is, in fact, you know, um, it's got a large new central park and then we retained a lot of the trees. You know, the original master plan that I inherited didn't show any of those trees so it was the result of the local communities activation that we that we really changed the master plan to turn it into something far greener and more sustainable and and more valuable ultimately for the local community and for the project itself so I got that going um, but didn't finish it and was asked to go back to Sydney in 2013 to lead the Darling Harbour project, which was a massive project of some nearly 50 acres of Darling Harbour that was uh, we'd won. And uh, it was two parts to it. It was a, a large new convention exhibition and theatre, which is really the main civic facilities for Sydney that were all being rebuilt on the site of the old facilities, um, and a new park and the like. And then on the part of that site, uh, what's now known as Darling Square, which is a complete new development that we, we, we've completed now. 1,500 apartments, um, commercial office building uh, with the Commonwealth Bank, the largest bank in Australia is the anchor tenant for that. 60 new shops, uh, a whole lot of new infrastructure, a big new square, and a fabulous little building done by Kengo Kuma out of Japan, which is really the signature of that project. So I worked, I worked on that for three years, got it set up again, and... Um, didn't finish that either and after three and a bit years I I was asked by Steve McCann at the time to um, to go and lead Barangaroo um, taking over from Andrew Wilson who had been leading that project to date. Now Barangaroo was our flagship head office project it was super challenging the government and we had been you know um, in dispute at various times we'd been in court which uh, was an unpleasant experience and it had a bit of a reputation for being a really tough project. And to be honest, Nick, I wasn't particularly keen to go and do it. Um, and in fact, at that time, you know, it was at the crossroads of do I stay and continue with Lendlease or do I go and uh, do something new? And I actually did, you know, explore, you know, going to do something different with another developer who was pretty keen for me to go and join them. And it took a conversation between me and Steve. Steve was the CEO of Land Lease at the time, um, for him to convince me to stay. And you know the way he described it was, you know, that you know, these these large projects are like businesses within 
the you know the organization and the the running of those is as as important as running any business and so you know they're they're very keen to get the right people doing that and he was very keen that i'd do that and so anyway we came to a, came to an agreement that i'd stay did run that project it was very challenging we did end up in court again with the government we did win again that was you know that was uh, that was challenging um, one of my only times being in the witness box um a fairly uh, unpleasant experience i have to say but uh taught me a lot um and that team as well was one that you know probably after such a grueling time needed to be re-energized rebuilt and so you know many of those same same things that i'd experienced and learnt on other projects came to the fore you know the need for building trust and respect in the team building you know a consensus and collaboration and you know not accepting that people who weren't aligned to the culture were allowed to stay so you know i, I drew on a, a i suppose you know that old jack welsh um quote of old you know there are those people who are doing well and fit the culture just encourage them to stay continue on there's people who aren't really you know performing and hitting the numbers but you know, don't fit the don't fit the culture um you can let them go pretty quickly there's people who are doing quite you know well but um but don't fit the culture they're the hard ones to do to deal with the ones that are really hitting the numbers but uh but don't fit the culture and uh, we had a couple of those and you know it was a case of having to sort of encourage them out and that was uh that was a, that was a lot of learning too for me in terms of managing teams and managing people so uh so that was that was a um exciting time for me um you know, we were back in Sydney. My wife was not really enjoying being in Sydney, if I'm honest with you, Nick. And so for her, it was a case of, well, you know, what else is there to, for us to do? Can we go back to the UK? Is there somewhere else that might be interesting for us to go? And then, of course, um, the opportunity to, in fact, I was in discussions at the time uh, with Dan Labad, who was running our UK business, about possibly going back to, to London when you know this opportunity in the states came up and uh and uh you know we weren't sure we'd win this project uh, working with google and uh and so you know but i was asked well if we do win it are you prepared to go and i said well i obviously had a conversation with my wife about that and we said yes and uh un unexpectedly we did win it and won more of it than perhaps we were anticipating and so uh, here we are well, I'd, um, I'm enjoying listening about the the role of Mrs. Deck here in the uh, in sort of setting the um, mm. the trajectory of your of your career so far. Rob. Well, then let's let's get into it. Yeah, let's tell us a bit more about sort of what the opportunity was. Well, look, it's a it's a pretty amazing portfolio of um, of projects here in Silicon Valley that we've uh, we've been working alongside Google with. It Google has aspirations to significantly, you know. Um, change the the south bay in terms of the work experience for their people i think what they've appreciated as they've grown and they've grown enormously is that uh, you know the the space they're providing for their people hasn't necessarily been the you know um creating that 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 full experience that they know they'd like to be able to provide that uh, ensures their people are um you know doing 
getting getting everything that they'd like in terms of a life experience. So they've been mostly occupying buildings leased by others to date. And so this is an opportunity to work with them on creating more mixed-use developments that, you know, create more sense of place. So instead of somewhat, you know, uninspiring office park environments, we can create, you know, much more city-like environments that have all the elements of a city. It have parks and open space together with residential and other mixed use um, activated on the ground plane by, you know, vibrancy and, um, you know, great community and retail and other cultural spaces uh, that really creates a more traditional city environment that people people warm to. And that was going to potentially, you know, in, well, very much really encourage people to not necessarily need to do the long commute that many people in the Bay are still doing. So it's an opportunity to work with them on, you know, transforming four large districts really in the South Bay. And I'm leading one of those alongside Google. They've got a team too working on all of this. We're focused mostly on the non-office components um, of the those projects and Google's obviously leading and um, you know developing the office space that they will occupy. Um, but jointly we're working together in a way that um, you know really does try to make these projects an extension of the communities that they're already you know a part of. So there's an incredible amount of uh, engagement with local cities and the community and you know, really looking to draw on the best of that to create vibrant, successful places that are, you know, inclusive, that are really, you know, um, transforming these places in ways that uh, probably haven't been done in the South Bay to that extent before. Rob, if I could ask you a question about, is it client? Is it customer? How would you, how would you describe, describe Google? Is it partner? Um, that's a really good question, Nick, because I think it's all of that. At the end of the day, we are providing development services and advice to Google alongside them, as well as being a, you know, a developer in our own right in time. And so, you know, it's both of those things, whereas we, we talk about it being a partnership and it truly is. Um, but at the same time, you know, a lot of what we're doing is giving them support and providing them advice alongside you know, it's people in their organisation who have um, real estate expertise too, but, you know, we're providing, I suppose, the horsepower and some of the um, experience to support all of that. So the next question, Rob, I wanted to ask you was, was really, your career has been full of these real marquee landmark projects. But I th- what I think is, is almost more surprising is you've done it under the same roof of single employer, you spent 26 years with uh, with Lendlease. But you seem to have sort of been able then to have kept a very, very quick pace in terms of three, four, four-year uh, project durations and then moving project or moving geographies. Now, so it's slightly sort of barbed question now. You're coming up to about four years now in uh, on the West Coast of the States. What is, it, what is it that's sort of keeping you interested in this scheme? Well, I guess Nick, that's that's an interesting observation. I have um, I have moved, you know, quite frequently, as you say, and you know, look, um, and I think I've recognised this in myself. I can I can get a little stale and bored, at, you know, um, after some time on a project, and need you know the inspiration of a new opportunity and you know working with new people, and so you know that has 
driven me and kept me fresh and focused. I certainly you know, need a good purpose to be getting out of bed each day. And so once I feel like I've got a project that's you know, in steady state and uh, moving in the right directions, uh, you know, and it's uh, and it's well well in train. I feel like you know I can take on something new and move on. Um, in this instance, I think here in Silicon Valley, I guess for two reasons, I'm probably in a slightly different mindset. I'll be honest and say, firstly, on a personal front, you know, my family, um, whilst they've certainly, I think, you know, it's been fabulous for the kids to move them around and have them get a global view. They really have, you know, experienced so much in their short lives of the world and, you know, in different places. And I think that's given them incredible resilience and helped to build flexibility, helped them to recognise that, you know, they... uh, they become quite, you know, good at building social networks in new places and building friends quickly. So I think that's good for them in a world where it's just changing so fast. Um, that's been great. But now I think we need to create a little more stability for them. Um, my youngest is now nearly, nearly in his teens and, uh, you know, my daughter's now at college here in the States. She had the quintessential high school life in the last few years, even, even through COVID. Um, you know, the US high school life that you sort of see on the movies was almost her experience. It was, was bizarre. But uh, but look, you know, in some respects we've, um, you know, when it comes to the project too, we're still very early days for this project. We spent, uh, you know, several years getting it through planning with the, and uh, changing the community's you know, view of the project. We came from a place of, you know, um, quite... Um, passionate um, objection to Google, you know, developing in San Jose to one where, you know, we we met the community and on all the needs that they were looking to to have addressed. And, uh, and you know, it was an amazing transformation uh, where, you know, when the, the project was consented at the city, we had a unanimous support from councillors and uh, barely an objection from anyone in the community. It was such a remarkable change. Uh, and now we're really only just getting underway this uh, with the projects. You know, some sometime soon we'll be looking to to um, to make a start, and such a huge amount to do that I don't feel ready to move at this point. And the team is, um, you know, great. It was such an incredible local team of uh, accomplished US-based people that have come and joined us. Uh, we've grown from circa ten people when I started to well over 150 across all of our our people now across those districts and on San Jose there's close to 50. So, um, you know, and some really, really smart young people that have joined us. So I don't feel like my work's done by any means here yet and so uh, I don't see a need to move anywhere for the, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted to change the pace up a little bit now, Rob, and I wanted to, to, to ask you a couple of sort of um, uh, quicker fire sort of questions before we need to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I, I, I explain to people like yourself before we get into recording these sessions is that you know I want to be able to put together some sort of career playbook so that anyone can dip in and out of uh, at these recordings and be able to take something away that's going to be practical advice for them to implement at, at a certain key part of their of their career. Now, for so many reasons, Rob, you, you've you have had no doubt sort of so many challenges during your career. 
if I could ask you to pick one, what I'm curious to do is to think about a time whereby maybe it was one of the, the biggest challenges or maybe it's one of the biggest lessons you've you ever learned. But if we if we could offer up anyone listening to this, what would what would be your first or biggest lesson that you could share to anyone dipping into this recording? Yeah, I think there's some really good learnings I've I've taken away from what I've done so far. Firstly, I think, you know, back yourself. Back yourself and be confident, but don't be arrogant. You know, I've certainly learned that over time and recognise that there are times in, in your career when, you know, what's made you successful may not be what will en- enable you to continue to be successful. It may, in fact, hold you back from that next opportunity. So particularly as you move from being an individual contributor to being a people leader, I certainly, you know, experienced that, understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are. And, and, you know, I've certainly done more about playing to my strengths and trying to address the weaknesses. What I've typically done there is put people around me who are good at the things I'm not good at, such that we make and uh, you know, a complementary team. Um, I suppose another thing that, you know, I have certainly experienced is, you know, needing to find the right opportunity and purpose in what I'm doing. If I'm not feeling enthused and inspired and myself, how can I, you know, enthuse and inspire the team? So, you know, ensuring that what I'm doing is something that that pushes my buttons and makes me see value. And, and you know, it's been easy to do that, if I'm really honest at least, because, you know, I think a lot of what you know, drives me is what drives the organisation too. This, their values are ones that aren't just on the wall, they're ones that we actually live each day and I've certainly made a difference to the way I lead. You know, the ones I've talked about, respect and collaboration, trust in particular, you know, having integrity and the like has been something which has really made a, a significant difference to me. And then I suppose, you know, the the, the reality is that, that these projects are city-changing. They're... They're what uh, you know, it's all really about is the fact that we're, you know, we're, we're making such a transformative impact on cities and to do that well is such a privilege and an, and an important part of you know, creating, creating great outcomes um, across the globe. So, so you know, the, the world is growing incredibly fast. We've got uh, what the, the population have, of the world's doubled in the last 50 years from, you know, circa 4 billion to nearly 8. And so, you know, most of those people are moving to cities and so we have an enormous responsibility to ensure we're using, you know, resources in a sustainable way to create places that last and don't need to be, you know, regenerated quickly because they fail. A lot of focus on environmental sustainability, but I think what's equally important is creating the right successful sustainable places in a commercial and social sense and that's something you know that has really driven me so find what inspires and motivates you and pursue that because uh, that's what's really going to make it the difference I think they're probably the the key things I talk about mostly Nick so Rob I'm I keep having to say sorry because there is so much in this career of yours that we could we could have spent hours on talking about but we've got to we've got to start to wrap this up but I'm going to squeeze in one last question and and it's one of my favorite questions I get to ask lots and lots of people um and it's about the idea of success and 
I'm curious about how you measure the success of your career to date and whether the the way in which you measure that, has that changed over time? That's a great question, Nick. I must say um, I've given that a bit of thought as I sort of start to move to the latter part of my career in some respects. I think it has changed over time. I think I've I've um, you know changed in my direction around what's important to me and what's what success looks like for me. Um, I think it's very much in the legacy that I'm leaving behind in, in many respects. You know, it's not so much about title and role and promotion and the like. It's more about you know leaving something behind that I can be proud of, that I can you know walk my kids around. That's one of the fabulous things about property in my mind is that, you know, it's tangible and it's real. And so, you know, people get to see and live in and experience what we do, um, you know, for a long time after we're gone. And so, you know, it's an incredible privilege and an incredible responsibility and something that, you know, I'm very passionate about making sure we do well. Um, And it's not just the places we create, it's the communities we also, um, you know, work in and, and, you know, help to uh, ensure that those do, those communities are thriving to make sure that they are successful, that what we do complements and adds to what what is there. Um, and equally, it's the teams and people that I work with. You know, I've spent more time in, I think, recognising the importance of, you know, helping those I'm working with further their careers and be successful and, you know, uh, create a legacy that's um, not just about places, but also about the people. Um, so, you know, I think um, it's incredibly important to to understand, you know, just how, how much uh, influence we do have. Um, sometimes I think we can discount that and think that it doesn't matter. And ultimately, I think, you know, we all we all need to be striving to to do good and to do better. And uh, and that's what I think is what success looks like for me. Well, Rob, thank you so much for sharing the the story um, uh, with us. You know, I've I have loved going on this sort of globe trotting adventure uh, with you, and no doubt the guys listening to this um, uh, will have equally if really benefited. So, Rob, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Nick. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>